Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks for sticking me in your ear and welcome to part two of my conversation with Teresa and Daniel Duke, the great-great-grandchildren of the outlaw Jesse James. Uh, they're 20 years plus of uh, research in addition to research by their late mother, Betty Dorset Duke, uh, led the led leads rather to the, the rather inescapable conclusion that Jesse James was not killed by Bob Ford in April of 1882, that he faked his death, took on an alias, James Lafayette Courtney, and lived out a very long life in Texas as a farmer. Again, Teresa and Daniel Duke, uh, the uh, co-authors of The Mysterious Life and Faked Death of Jesse James, Daniel Duke, the author of Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, and the brand new book, Secret History of the Wild, Wild West. Uh, just getting back to sort of the, you know, the mythos of Jesse James, how, uh, how did he or why did he became known as America's Robin Hood? I mean, was he literally like, you know, taking from the rich and helping poor people? That's a good question. <clears throat> a good question. There, <clears throat> there were a lot of stories that Jesse had, uh, and some of these were myths. Some of those were also uh, based on stories by a, a journalist who was sympathetic to the James and Younger boys, um, there his name was John John Newman Edwards, and he he would write like it was a fiery journalistic voice. It was always in support of the James boys and how they were done wrong. Um, and like I've said before, I'm I don't believe uh, they weren't. I don't think they were psychopaths and you know horrible, bloodthirsty killers like some have painted them. But I also I also readily admit they weren't angels by any means. But um, there were stories that like one lady had owed taxes, and uh, they had, they were in that area. They heard the lady you know owed taxes. The taxpayer, the tax collector was coming to to either get the money or take her farm, and Jesse. Jesse and his gang members gave her some money, told her to pay the taxpayer, and then they, they left and went and waited on the road. So after she paid the taxpayer, she got her receipt say, showing she paid the taxes. Uh, when he was riding back towards town, they robbed him and got their money back. And there was a lot of stories like that, but they're, they're hard to prove. But stories like that got around real quick. People thought of Jesse as, as you know, a Robin Hood. And there was one quote by Laura James I always loved. It was a uh, Jesse James represented the, every man who'd ever felt the boot of the man on their neck. And I thought that that sentiment alone, along with the rumors, just seemed to seemed to catapult them into legendary Robin Hood status. Right. And how much of the sort of the portray the sympathetic. Uh, version of Jesse James may have been fueled by in the South resentment during the reconstruction era, the, the way that the, you know, the North treated the South. I mean, 
the, the, the slavery issue aside, I mean, there were let's face it, there were atrocities on both sides, and the Union during Reconstruction, uh, pretty harsh on on the South. How much do you think that the, the Reconstruction era sort of fueled the recasting of Jesse James as uh, as a hero and as a Robin Hood? I think it had a lot to do with it. I'm glad you mentioned that the, the Reconstruction era. Um, the, people lost, you know, everything they had. There were a lot of people who, if their business had been shown in some way to have supported the Confederacy, and when you're in in the Deep South and you're not supporting them, you look like a traitor. So you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. But if they if their business had been shown in any way to have supported the Confederacy, the the, the North or what they call carpetbaggers would take their property from them. And so, you know, people were very bitter. Their livelihood was lost. They had nothing left. And that I'm sure stories like that did nothing but uh, serve the James gang and, and their reputation. So well, and after, then there was a lot of things, you know, like people um, I've heard a, a few people also argue that I, I agree with the point. You know, there was slavery was horrible. I don't agree with that at all. Um, no. And. But at the same time, the Northern, you know, after the North won, they then went and wiped out a lot of Native American tribes. So it was, it was kind of, you know, like it, it was, it, it was you know, a bit hypocritical in ways. So people would see things like that. And I think that also helped tr- towards, you know, help support the, the James gang story. As of 1882, when, when, um, Jesse faked his death, do we have any idea what kind of a uh, a fortune he and the gang had amassed? And uh, you know, when you add up all of the train robberies and the bank robberies and the steamboat robberies and stagecoach robberies, how much how much loot did they end up with? That's a good question. I'm trying to remember the figures. Uh, every time I think of that, I always think it doesn't add up to all the um, the amounts of gold he was said to have buried in single catches. Uh, yeah, like one, you know, every, one was like, like the first one, Liberty, was like 60000 Um, There were others that were like in the amount of 3000 So, I mean, I don't know the exact amount, but I mean, I do think that they got away with, you know, quite a large sum. Just that first one, 60000 for back in the 18, you know, in the 1800s was, you know, that's a lot of money back then. That would have to be worth several million dollars in today's dollars, I would think. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it I was so. that one bank robbery. Was, yeah, it was a lot. And did they did they divvy up things? I mean, was it was the, the, the James gang, was it a dictatorship with Frank and Jesse uh, ruling the roost? Or was there, I don't know, did they divvy up things democratically? Uh, how did the gang run? The way I understood it, they always uh, it was it was basically modeled after the way they did things when they were riding with Quantrill, um, but I think they were a little more democratic than that. They just they seemed to they would discuss a, a target and basically vote on whether they thought it was right or not, and they had they had the right to to sit out on one or not. Um, most of them, you know, they had the attitude, we ride together, but at the same time, there were times where they would also split up and hit multiple targets in, 
in the same areas within days of each other and sometimes on the same day. So it was, that's, that's another thing that also led to confusion. I think it was a great guerrilla tactic. They probably learned during the civil war. Um, it, it, people want, people would attribute it to Jesse and yet sometimes it was Wood Height leading, leading a group that rode into town or Cole Younger or Frank James. Right, so the it was totally, squad. <laughs> they didn't know exactly who they were chasing. But for some reason, it was Jesse who seemed to stand out. I mean, with history, like I always say, you know, he had a brother, Frank. <laughs> but you don't hear about Frank James much. Or like the Youngers. I mean, you know, there's little bits throughout the history books on them, but it always seemed to focus on Jesse. And that, you know, I don't, I don't know why, you know, it worked out that way, but it panned out that way, but it all seems to be focused more on Jesse. Right. And so by um, April of 1882, when, when <laughs> Jesse fakes his death, Wood Height uh, becomes Jesse James and is, you know, take put, put into the ground. Uh, and that's supposedly the end of Jesse James. Jesse James heads to Texas um, as James Lafayette Courtney. Uh, who's left in the James gang? And, and does, I mean, does all of that money revert to, to Jesse or does Frank also have a, a big portion of that? Did they flee together? What happened? And which, I didn't hear which one you were talking about. Was that? Oh, after Jesse, well, Jesse and Frank, when, when, when Jesse fakes his death in 1882, is Frank in on it? Does Frank flee with Jesse? What happened? No. So Frank um, ended up going to trial after the supposed, um, assassination of Jesse James and ended up being acquitted of all charges. So we found that really interesting. So he didn't ever have to go into hiding Frank James. How is it possible to eluded charges? That's a good um, question. They had, the they had a lot. Like, Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead, Teresa. Um, he was, um, they took him to trial for, I want to say it was the murder of some, I don't remember who, but he was brought up in like, you know, the the robbery charges, but also uh, murder charges. And he ended up being acquitted of everything. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't have to go into hiding. And then I think he died. I want to say Frank James. He lived to be fairly old, but I think he died in like, wasn't it like 1910 or something, Danny, or 1915? I thought it was 1919. Let me, I got to Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but long story short, he didn't have to go into hiding like Jesse did. Was he aware that Jesse was on, that had faked his death? I'm, I'm sorry, you'll have to repeat that. Did Frank know that, that Jesse had, had, in fact, faked his death? I, yes. Uh, well, I, and that's a good question. I always wondered if he knew right away or how long it took him to find out because there were a lot of rumors rumors flying around, and I'm sure that ha that happens during any event like similar to that, that uh, Frank was on his way to town and people were going to pay. Um, and then I, I have a feeling he may not have known 
until he got in the area. He probably t- spoke to one of his friends, fellow gang members, or or one of his family members and found out. Uh, and then when he found out, he backed off. I'm not sure how that would have worked out, but um, that that's a good question. I've always wondered, and my guess, my best guess would be that he, he got word from some a trusted source, and that's when he, he, he found out. So how do we pick up the trail um, from St. Joseph, Missouri in April of 1882 uh, to James Lafayette Courtney, gentleman farmer in Texas, uh, who lived right up until the, the 1940s, I believe. Uh, how did you pick up that trail and how do you, how do we find out that that's, he was Jesse James? Well, he can, had I say had, one uh, thing, can I say one thing before we move on to that? It's, yes. It's regarding Frank and his wife, Ann Ralston. Um, she, they did a, she, she, they did a uh, news story with her shortly before she died. And she made the comment, she was 91 when she died, but she made the comment that the true story of Frank and Jesse would go to the grave with her. So I do think, I think that they had to be in on it as well. Frank, I think he personally did know about Jesse's, you know, that he did fake his death and, and moved to Texas because she moved to Texas as well. And Ann Ralston was who? Sorry. After Frank died. Who was Ann Ralston? Frank James's wife. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. And she, they did an article with her, um, couple of months before she died, she was 91, but she did, um, she did state that this, the true story of Jesse and Frank would go to the grave with her. Ah, okay. That's so I yeah. think he probably, I personally think that, you know, Frank was in on it the whole time. Right. Okay. So <laughs> take a, take us from, uh, St. Joseph, Missouri to, James Courtney uh, Lafayette's, or sorry, James Lafayette Courtney's uh, farm in Texas. Okay. Uh, well, Jesse had been living in Texas since 1871. Uh, he met, he came to Texas, met my third great grandfather, Thomas Hudson Barron, who was a captain with the Texas Rangers. And when I heard that, I thought, okay, this is wild. But it was known, our late mother had found uh, proof that. And there were there were uh, old wanted posters of four wanted posters for Jesse and Frank and the younger saying that they were known to have ridden with Texas Rangers around the Dallas, Texas area. So and, you know, I thought, well, it's not actually that strange because they were they'd all fought on the same side during the war. And some of them probably fought together. Um, some of the Texas and a lot of Texas Rangers, especially back in those days, had ridden both sides of the the fence, so to speak, uh, that some, many of them used to be outlaws and then became lawmen, and some would just jump back and forth throughout their career. Oh, I didn't uh, know. Fascinating. So, yeah, that was, that was always, I always thought that was pretty interesting. But um, they, in 1871, and we have his diary from 1871 up through 1876, and, and it wasn't a normal diary. Like, he didn't talk about his feelings. It was more of a day book. <laughs> He'd write down the facts. <laughs> so, but he mentioned where, you know, places everywhere he'd gone. Uh, he even signed his name Jesse 
J. James and also uh, J. W. J. His initials, which were Jesse Woods and James. He would, and he'd written the name James L. J. L. Courtney many times on on the back, uh, almost as if he were practicing that new signature. But uh, in addition to that, he'd mentioned uh, known gang members that he'd ridden with that lived in that area at different times, and a lot of different facts that actually served. Without that that day book, we wouldn't have been able to to crack a lot of that. So you know, it was the confusion was caused by him because he needed to, but just to get away and and you know live a peaceful life. But at the same time, his day book also unopened and unraveled a lot of that confusion. Uh, so but he he married, that. settled down, and and where was his spread? Where in Texas? Where was his farm? Blevins, Texas, which is, yeah, it was Blevins, Texas, and it was uh, not too far from Waco, Texas. And it's about probably, well, back then it would have been about a day's ride southeast of Waco, Texas. Now it's yeah. about an hour. How many acres? 180, uh, I think it was, it was 180 acres that he purchased from his father-in-law, Thomas Barron. And did he buy it with gold or <laughs> he purchased it with gold, all with gold. I think he, it was $800 and he paid for it all in gold coins. Wow. When he rode into Texas, he had saddlebags with gold coins. And, um, what kind of a farmer was he? He wasn't, he didn't ever seem too busy based on his day book. He was always, it was always someone else doing the work. Or, or he would just, he didn't seem busy at all. I mean, he would do things like, you know, brand a cast, things like that. And a lot of the time he was going into town and buying things for his wife and children. But he didn't, he didn't, he would cut like a half an acre uh, of tall grass or reeds and, and different things like that. But it wasn't a whole lot of work, especially for those times. I mean, usually a farmer was working from sun up to sun down. And he seemed to live pretty leisurely. Right. I mean, he didn't need to work because he had, well, what do we know? What, 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 what was he worth in terms of, well, let's just look at the gold. Uh, how much did he, did he have like buckets of gold around the house? Yeah. Buried, he, he yeah. Had, he had uh, gold buried. And he also, there's a story about his son. His son's name was Byron, Byron Courtney, but, um, he gave a job to Byron to count. He had gold in a trunk, and every day he would have Byron count that gold every day to make sure, the, I guess, that no one was dipping into it. But he had, that was one story. He had a trunk full of gold in his house, and he would also bury gold in jars in his yard. Wow. Um, he also had with like new. He he was fond of the Ford cars, and every right. year he would have a new car on hand. Like he he had to have a new car. He was always buying new Ford vehicles back then. <laughs> what was he concerned? Did he um, did he think that one day someone's gonna you know? catch up with me and figure out, figure all of this out? I mean, was he nervous that he was going to be apprehended? We, I, 
believe so, and I think Danny can agree with me on this, but in his journal, people would come to his farm and they would introduce themselves, and he would always say in the journal, or so they say. Like, he, to me, that seemed like he was paranoid. Like, they would come introduce themselves for whatever reason that they were going out to visit on the farm, and then he would say, so-and-so came today, and then he would say their names, and then it would say, or so they say. Like, he just, I felt like there was a hint of paranoia with anybody who would come to his farm. Well, and also when he would, uh, when people... If someone rode up to his house after dark, he would always blow out all the candles or all the lanterns in the house, and he would lay, he would draw his gun and lay down across the floor next to the front door. So I, I was assuming if that was if they came in, they'd trip over him, and I don't think they would expect someone someone shooting from the floor if that's what they were planning on doing. He seems pretty paranoid. Right. Yeah. How was he with a, with, a, with a gun? How was he with a gun? They also, yeah. he did get the attention of the government because they were always sending him letters wanting to know how he had the, the all the assets that he had. So we do have some letters where the government was like, explain this, how you have this and how you have that. <laughs> so <laughs> he did have to do with, deal with that as well. How was he with a gun? Oh, um there was actually we had an eyewitness account or eyewitness to that uh, that we had met. His name was George Roaming. He's passed since. It, uh, George was a young boy when Jesse was an older man, and I was thrilled to just meet someone who had spoken to Jesse. Um, George grew up in the area. He was about ten, nine or ten years old, and he said Jesse would wave to him up, you know, to come sit on the porch with him and have lemonade. And um, George said Jesse would talk to him, and he was always scared to death of him just because he said he was a big man with a big hat and a great big mustache, and he always had a big gun next to him. So uh, he said one day Jesse told him to, to carry a stone out 40 paces across the yard and set it down. And when George got back, he said Jesse stood up, stepped off the porch, and before his foot hit the ground, he shot the rock. You know, he just drew his pistol and shot it. And he was in his 80s at the time. So, you know, that that's a I'd, – I'd say he was a very good shot. There were also stories that uh, before they would have if, – if his wife wanted to cook chickens, some chicken for the family, he would get on his horse sometimes and show off for his kids, and he would ride by at full, full gallop and shoot the head off of a chicken. So <laughs> I'd say he was a good shot. Sounds like it. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. And um, if you're in the live chat, get your questions and comments ready. And my live stream producer, uh, Ryan, will curate those and send those on to me. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll put those questions to Teresa and Daniel Duke as we continue our discussion on the uh, outlaw, Jesse James. Back with more in a moment. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Teresa and Daniel Duke, great-great-grandchildren of the outlaw Jesse James, who faked his death in April of 1882 and uh, lived under the alias James Lafayette Courtney as a farmer in uh, Texas. 
how long did he live? Seven. In ni- it was in uh, 1943 when he died. And I'm sorry, how old was he again? 97. 97. Wow. And uh, how many children did he have? Like seven. Seven children. Total? He had, he had seven children. Yeah, and we also know that there are other diaries out there. Um, we don't have those in our possessions. But what I find interesting is he had such a long life. He would mention things like an air, like an airplane, and he would put it in his journal. He would call it a flying machine just went <laughs> over his house. Like, <laughs> those are the things I would love to see because, you know, just seeing this outlaw who was from the, you know, Civil War time in the Western days, and I would love to see those journals that mentioned, you know, like his first, when he drove his first car or seeing the plane in the sky it's just things like that that that's what i would i would just love to see i would love to find those journals and see that for myself that there's just so much history a span of history in there you know that you just can't get in a lot of stuff and he had a he had a lot of history right right um let's go to the uh the youtube live chat with some questions here and we're going to begin with not Gordian, as in Gordian not. Not Gordian asks, what happened to Jesse James' revolvers? That's a good question. I think most of them probably are scattered to the ends of the earth, but there were a couple we've seen. Uh, there was one we know for a fact was his, and we tried to, the, at the time, the man wanted, the man who owned it um, lived about two miles from where Jesse's farm was. He wanted more than we had at the time, but he said he would hold on to it. And before, it, right right when we got the money to get it, um, he had passed away, and his family upped the price. They, they increased the price threefold, so we, we never got it. Uh, would there be any way of authenticating that pistol? We did. We, we got the, well, we did it. We did as much as we could, and it, it li- everything about the pistol lined up with everything we knew about Jesse, but... He also carved inside the handle were the initials of other known gang members, and it just seemed to we would have to. Of course, we would want to take it to professionals so they would be able to to examine it and make sure. But it it everything about it seemed right on the money. Did he let anyone in on the on the secret in 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 Texas? Any of it? Did he ever tell his children, or did he did he have a, a best? friend, a confidant in, in Blevins, Texas, that he actually said, you know what, you know, maybe over a beer or too many beers, I was, I'm Jesse James. We believe some of his family members knew, like it was passed down in our family through his daughter, Ida, she knew, and that's how it was passed down through us. I mean, we've heard it our entire lives. My mom heard it when she was a kid and, well, you know. Yeah. And a lot of the gang members, well, some of the gang members and a lot of the former Quantrill guerrillas who had ridden with him lived all around that area. And George knew, Danny. Yeah, I know George. Yeah, that's true. George knew. Yeah. Uh, George Who's George? Actually, the, uh, George was the former World War II vet I'd, I'd mentioned earlier that we met. Um, he was talk- He was the one who told me the story of Jesse shooting the rock. Uh, George was sworn to secrecy by Jesse before he uh, Jesse hired him to help him move 700 bars of gold about 18 to 20 miles from Jesse's house. Wow. All right. Robert S. Scott asks, 
do Daniel and Teresa have to deal with any backlash due to the family connection with Jesse James? I've met. Yeah. There was. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, there was a man I met at my first book signing, and uh, he. I didn't know what to think, really. I, I didn't expect it. The guy came up and said, you know, your, your, your ancestor shot my ancestor and killed him. What do you think of that? And I didn't know what to say. I, you know, I, I, we did. I just said, well, I guess he should have been a better shot. And I didn't know I, that. That I, in hindsight, I would have said it differently. But uh, that, just little things like that. I don't really know how you. Would, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't do. Exactly. But, right. But, uh, I've heard people criticize it, and people who find it fascinating, and you know. I've just learned to come to the, you know, just come to the realization that, you know, everyone's going to, we have the facts laid out in the books. We have documented, you know, evidence pointing to him being Jesse James. And some people can see it and believe it. And then there's others who are, who just don't want to acknowledge any of it. So, uh, you know. Was there any, any consideration to exhuming the, um, the grave, it, it, you know, in fact, it determining whether it's it, it was Wood Height or or Jesse James, was there a exhumation? Oh yeah, in 1995, uh, the James Farman Museum and people associated with that hired uh, Professor James E. Stars, who was a law professor from the University of of George, from Georgetown University, um, and he he had no back. He had his hobby was forensics, but he wasn't a professional in that field, which I thought was interesting. If you're, you know, anything dealing with history, they should have a, prof a professional doing it, someone who was qualified in that field. But they hired a law professor to do this. Um, and no pun intended, but our late mother shot that whole exhumation full of holes. It was it, there was m multiple mistakes. I mean, it was enough mistakes they made to fill several chap, um, and including uh, Stephen Caruso, who was the attorney. He was a Clay County attorney at the time. Uh, telling he told my mother and I in person that it was a tawdry sideshow, and he's even said that on film. Um, he said the hair they tested was. He was ordered by the court. He 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 held the sample of Jesse's hair and uh in you know for the museum. Well, the the court had ordered him to turn the hair over to James Stars, and he said he didn't trust the guy. So instead of turning that hair over, he pulled the hair out of the Clay County Parks Director's hair, John Hartman, out of his head and submitted that. And what made me laugh, I mean, it's sad that, that it got that messed up, but he, they tested that hair and on a documentary claimed that was Jesse's hair or, or met all the requirements to be Jesse's hair. Hmm. And I thought that's insane. I mean, the, he, he pulled his friend's hair and the tooth they tested, Stephen Caruso said, I can guarantee you it had similar origins, but he wouldn't say where the tooth came from. In other words, it didn't come from the body in the in the grave, supposedly, you know, belonging to Jesse James. It came from somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, Weiwei Anella asks, uh, do you think the Clint Eastwood movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales, was based on Jesse James' life story? I hear similarities between the movie plot and Jesse's story. I do think that. I think it was very – it was – watching Josie Wales was almost – it, it was very close, almost identical to the story of not only Jesse, but a lot of the other uh, gorillas who rode with him. 
we just have about a minute, uh, two minutes or a minute and a half here. I want to just talk briefly and, you know, we have to have you back on and, and talk about the uh, the gold and the fact that he hit gold all over the place and left maps. And you alluded to this earlier, Teresa, when you were talking about there was this higher purpose behind these bank robberies. It wasn't just, you know, take these ill-gotten go- uh, gains and, and for their own personal benefit. So, first of all, let's talk about the uh, the maps uh, that you have in your possession. Okay. Well, you know, when my mom first started uh, her research, um, her aunt gave her one of Grandpa Courtney's maps. She just gave it to her to continue with the research, and she was hoping that maybe she would eventually find the treasure from the map. Yeah, I mean, we have some of his maps, you know, and... Hopefully one day we'll find some treasure out of it. But if not, it's just, it's still interesting just knowing that we have some of his maps. But we do know that he buried a lot of his stuff under his house in Texas. And um, a lot of his kids were try- always trying to dig up the gold. Even when he died and they were burying him, his son, Byron Courtney, instead of attending his own father's funeral was trying to dig up the gold, some of the gold in his, at his house. All right, I'm going to take a quick time out here. Teresa, Daniel, stay with us back with more of our conversation about the outlaw Jesse James and uh, your questions from the YouTube live chat. Keep them coming. Stay, stay tuned for more. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. An amazing story. The great-great-grandchildren of the outlaw Jesse James, who faked his death in 1882 and lived out his life in Blevins, Texas, and lived to the ripe old age of 97 as a a very wealthy farmer. Uh, We'll go back to the uh, YouTube live chat question in just a moment, but I just wanted to to talk some more about the uh, the maps uh, where he... Uh, well, he buried gold. I mean, where where primarily did, according to these maps, did he bury this gold? Well, that was a when the map was passed down. A lot of people in the family had looked looked for it before they even before it made it into our late mother's hands, and we gave a shot at it. At, you know, and I, it was hard just because it was geometrical designs had a lot of dashes, and he had some code written in there, and the code wasn't too hard to to finally figure out it was just uh, numbers substituted for letters and vice versa but we we would you know, he would base it on the alphabet backwards or the alphabet forwards and different different things like that but the hard part was there were no geographic markers it was uh, just just a geometrical designs drawn down with numbers and amounts of gold and silver and even greenbacks. He called them greenbacks that he had buried. So there was no starting point like you know 40 paces north of the old oak tree. It was just it was just a design, and you had to know a lot of backstory. There was a lot of questions. So I got you know I put that on the back burner, and over time, like George Roaming, the elderly gentleman who knew Jesse when Jesse was old and George was young. Um, he had told this about another site, the one that he had helped Jesse move 700 bars of gold close to 20 miles away from Jesse's house. So that gave us another spot, and I thought, okay, I need at least one more location if I could, in that sense, to try to figure out where he had it. If there, if there was any rhyme or reason to 
to the areas where he would bury them. And that, a few years later, got answered when a former attorney general for the state of Texas, Wagner Carr, um, had sent his driver out. He was talking to our late mother a lot on the phone about Jesse, and he was also interested in the gold. Well, he sent his driver out to show my mother and I where several large catches were buried. And after I plotted those on the map, I noticed it, 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 it all fell in line with a template and that template over time, it, it just working on it for years, it finally all fell into place and it covered, it's a grid system that covers not only Texas, but most of the Americas. Um, not every spot on the grid has a treasure on it, but in an area where a treasure is, it's right on the grid. Any treasure that they had buried or their organization, uh, which ties into Freemasons and others. Um, any treasure they had buried was all, the, the grid was right on the money. And not only with that, but also areas of historical interest, kind of like a Scott Walters hooked, um, hooked X, the rune stone. Yes. It, it falls on that grid. Fortis King asks from the YouTube live chat, well, um, about this gold, how much, and is there still any around today? So according to these maps, because he sort of itemized the amount of gold and silver, how much is, how much buried treasure is out there? I think there's still a lot out there. There were large catches that were very large, kind of like Victoria Peak in New Mexico, where there was over, at the time in the 1940s, it was valued at around $3 billion, which would three be... Bill, excuse me, Daniel, did you say $3 billion? That's right. $3 billion. And LBJ even had his hands in that, too, uh, later on. But if <laughs> it was... That was a lot of money, $3 billion. I can't, I don't know how much that would be worth today, but I, I, uh, that's, that's enough to set a person up and their and generations of a family for a long time. But that was one, and that one was recovered. Um, there were a lot of, a few other very large ones like that around the Americas. But I think the smaller ones, even a, even a jar full of gold, like an old mason jar, would be a small fortune. And that'd be enough to set most people up for the rest of their life. Those those gold caches that were discovered, and you say LBJ had a hand in one. Were they were they verified as belonging to Jesse James? No, that one wasn't. That that predated Jesse, and even predated the found the founding of America. Um, that one, I think, that people people have. There were rumors that uh, Victorio, the chief Victorio, chief of the Apaches, had buried it there after killing, you know, or, or robbing wagon trains. And I thought, there's no way he buried $3 billion worth of gold deep in a cavern, and it was smelted gold bars. And what pioneer would have been traveling with smelted gold bars? If they had that, they would have had enough money to sell around the horn and you know, or, you know, just to sell around instead of cross it in a wagon. Let me go back to the uh, the YouTube live chat here with uh, a question from Rob asking, who owns Jesse's farm now? That would be Clay County, Missouri. It's a county up in a, well, they're about mm, 30 minutes north of Kansas City, Missouri. I think he's referring to the, the farm in Texas. My apology. I should have cl clarified. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the farm in Texas would be owned. It was owned. <laughs> I don't know if I should say the man's name, but it's, uh, when Jesse died, um, uh, several of his children got in a big fight, legal fight over who got 
the, the farm. They were fighting. Uh, they got lawyers. The lawyers ended up getting it, and they sold it to a family who could, who owns it to this day. I don't know if I should say their name. Oh, on no, the name's not important, but it's not. It's out. It's okay. no longer in in the the Courtney um, family. Let's put it that way, or the Duke that's, family. That's right. And is there a lot of squabbling over the? Uh, I mean, you have a map. Do are there other descendants of Jesse James who claim that they also have a map? And is there is has this caused any friction in the family? The only the main friction um, we've had were some of my my cousins. Will, you know, they'll come out and they, they want to know more, but they only care about the gold. They don't care about the history behind it. And they usually just, you know, if, if they want to know that if I ever find any, that they get their share. And I, they seem to think they're owed a share just because they're descended. And and it's not just that. It, they they had approached, some of them had approached our late mother and asked her if there was ever a movie made on her book, uh, if she was going to share any, any money she got with them from a movie. And they had never bothered to help research or anything, but they, they sit back and watch, and they just want a cut of the money because they're related. They don't want to do the work to actually help. That That's the part. That's where the, the fighting had come in a little, not much. But we just mom just told them, no, you didn't help. You didn't donate. You didn't offer to help, so you're not owed anything. If you were to find any of that gold, uh, is there? I mean, it, would you have to turn that over to the U.S. Treasury because it was stolen? I don't. That's a good question. I've never. Um, we always. So have, our idea was to give it back to the Freemasons. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's the what we always. We were like, what would we do if we find the treasure? And we always said to like, you know, give it back to the Freemasons because we know that they would probably, you know, give it out. They would do good with it, like charities and you know, good de good things with the the treasure that they, you know, Jesse and them took, but. I don't know. That's what we, we always ask that question. What would we do if we found it? So R.E. asks, R.E. on the live chat asks, is there a connection between Jesse James and the Knights Templar? I mean, you're, the the title of your your uh, book, your sec the second book, Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, and Daniel, you've been on with me before and we've discussed this, uh, and there are all of these strange sort of Masonic symbols on these maps. And is So is there a connection between Jesse and the, and the Knights Templar? There are, the, through the uh, Freemasons, uh, Jesse under his alias was a Freemason here in Texas. And I don't know when his first contact with Freemasonry was. I, I suspect it was during the Civil War, just because um, Albert Pike was a Brigadier General who was often in Arkansas and Oklahoma. And there's documented records showing that, that Quantrill's men would be in a, they would share a camp with Albert Pike and his men at different times. So I don't know if that's when Jesse became acquainted with Freemasonry or not, but under his alias, he was a Mason, and I traced Masonry back. Um, you can trace the, even a lot of Masons. There's rumors and, and people who uh, aren't, weren't too sure about it, but I was very confident after the research in, in my first book, the Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, I showed that Freemasonry connects directly back to the Templar through uh, Sir Francis Bacon, his mentor, John Dee, and it goes back through various uh, alchemists, Rosicrucians, um, Jewish rabbis, all the way back to the uh, a rabbi known as Rashi, who was a favored court guest of Hugh de Champagne, one of the founders of the, the Templar. And, and the thing, when I wrote the book, I thought, okay, people are really going to think I've, I've gone off the deep end here. 
But what what made my day, it made my my entire decade, all the decades I've researched this, was the current Grandmaster of the Night Templar, Timothy Hogan, wrote a glowing endorsement for that book, and it's printed on the book, and it's saying that I have indeed cracked part of the code dealing with the treasures and the Night Templar, well, the Night Templar and the treasures from the temple in Jerusalem. And that, that just made my day. Do you think that that big gold cache of that worth $3 billion, was that in fact Templar treasure that the Templars brought over from Europe because they were being persecuted and pursued by the Vatican because of their, you know, they were, they were challenging the, the power of kings and queens. They had so much wealth. There's some theory that, they, you know, they deposited some of that treasure at Oak Island off of Nova Scotia and buried it elsewhere in the Americas. I think the, the, the intention was, you know, that gold would be used to, to create, turn America into the new Jerusalem or something to that effect. Was that $3 billion yeah. cash of gold, not Templar gold? I believe that part of it was. I, I would think a large part of it probably was. Not only that catch, but also in Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, the alleged catch in Nova Scotia, which is also on the grid pattern, the, the template. Uh, there's a lot of different treasures that were that came from, I believe, France and well, ultimately originated from the, the temple, the Templar treasures. So did, did your great-great-grandfather, Jesse James, think that he was then part of that tradition and that he also was burying gold to be used for that higher purpose that you alluded to earlier, Teresa? I believe yeah, he knew he was part of that. Yep, I do believe that he, he was a part of, you know, I, I believe it was all carried down within the organization and he was a part of it and a part of the goal for the higher purpose to be used later on down in the future. Although I'm not sure what it is their plans are for in the future, though. <laughs> I do believe it was for a higher purpose. Going back to the uh, YouTube live chat, you betcha asks, uh, what are your favorite myths, lores, etc. about Jesse James? Any stories in particular that should be taken with a grain of salt? <laughs> That's a good question. Oh, God, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fav favorite stories. Trying to pick one is, is harder than I thought it would be. Well, the Robin Hood legends I thought were, were, interesting they're funny one in particular right off the top of my head the robbery of akabak the akabak brothers bank in corridan iowa always gave me a laugh because uh, they they had ridden into town to rob the bank get to town the streets are empty everybody's on the other side of the town listening to uh henry clay dean give a speech and mark twain had mentioned henry clay dean he was a famous uh fiery orator uh, he was a filthy man, but he gave great speeches. So he drew the whole town to the other the other side of town. He's given a speech. The James boys walks in, rob the bank, no resistance. They leave, and as they're leaving, they ride by the crowd and say, "Hey, the bank was just robbed." People in the crowd turned around and shushed them. They didn't because they wanted they didn't want them interrupting the speech. And the gang just rode on out of town. By the time the, the town found out the bank was robbed, they were long gone. <laughs> How about you for you, Teresa? Any, uh, that's, that's, a great, that's a good one. How about for you, Teresa, a famous piece of Jesse James lore? I think for me it's just a, the fact that in the guerrilla days, Jesse was always, according to the legends, he was always, he was a daredevil. Cat showed no fear, and he was always the front and center and taking on the other side with no fear. 
And I don't know. I find that fascinating. I, I like to think that he was like a daredevil like that. No fear. Uh -huh. He was bold. <laughs> R. Davis asks, are there any ties with from Jesse James to Italian royalty? That's a good question. That is a good I, question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why, why he's, he's trying to make that connection or why she's trying to make the connection. Have you heard that before? I haven't. Mm-mm. All right. I'm not sure exactly. something to check into. Well, I do know what. Well, not Italian royalty. I have heard of uh, connections with some people, some more recent outlaws from the 30s and 40s who had had ties allegedly, but they weren't so much mafia or Italian but they were tied in with, uh, they, they were connected to some Italian mafia, but not Italian royalty that I know of. What about Jesse James and the other great outlaw, Billy the Kid? Any connection there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Billy, Billy and Jesse had met in Las Vegas, New Mexico in 1879. Um, and that, that was well documented. They had, they had allegedly met to, to discuss teaming up to form a new gang. And that didn't happen. But what I found interesting was just within a couple of years of that meeting, they both were allegedly assassinated by people they had ridden with and shot in the back. Mm. Or shot in certain, you know, similar circumstances. And it almost makes me wonder if that wasn't planned. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of evidence on that Billy had also faked his death. And I don't know how... It, I can't guarantee, you know, I haven't, I haven't researched that in depth like we have the Jesse James story, but it just, it makes me really curious. All right. A final point. R. Davis was asking about a connection to an Italian um, monarchy. He, I'm just looking in the YouTube live chat. He says, I have documents. So R. Davis, if you want to, can they contact you through the website? Either of you? Um, is yeah. it author, author Dan Dukes? Yeah, we'd love to see that. Okay, so um, R. Davis, yeah, go to the uh, the website. I've linked up to it at uh, strangeplanet.ca. Just click on Daniel and uh, Teresa's name, and that'll take you to the website, and you can contact them. I'm sure they'd like to see uh, or know more about these documents connecting their great-great-grandfather, Jesse James, with Italian royalty. We'll have to do it again. Uh, there's so much more to discuss in the secret of the wild, wild west. Teresa and Dan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.